verse 27. You'll have to excuse me, it is full of the most fiendishly difficult names I have ever come across, but here we go. At the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, the Levites were sought out from where they lived and were brought to Jerusalem to celebrate joyfully the dedication with songs of thanksgiving and with the music of cymbals, harps and lyres. And the singers also were brought together from the region around Jerusalem, from the villages hang on, of the Netophathites, from Beth Gilgal, and from the area of Geba and Asmaveth. For the singers had built villages for themselves around Jerusalem. And when the priests and Levites had purified themselves ceremonially, they purified the people, the gates, and the walls. And I, the leader of Judah, go up on top of the wall... No, I had the leaders of Judah to go up on top of the wall and I also assigned two large choirs to give thanks. Think about this because this is huge. One was to proceed on top of the wall to the right towards the Dung Gate. Hoshiah And half of the leaders of Judah followed them, along with Azariah, Ezra, Meshullam, Judah, Benjamin, Shemaiah, Jeremiah, as well as some priests with trumpets. And also, Zechariah, the son of Jonathan, the son of Shemaiah, the son of Metaniah, the son of Micaiah, the son of Zachor, the son of Asaph, and his associates. Shemaiah, I thought we'd had him before, but there we go. Azarel, Milali, Gilali, Marsai, Nathanel, Judah, and Hanani. There'll be a quiz later to find out if you've remembered all these names. With musical instruments prescribed by David, the man of God. Ezra, the scribe, led the procession. And at the fountain gate, they continued directly up the steps of the city of David on the ascent to the wall and passed above the house of David to the water gate on the east. The second choir, you'd forgotten there was a second choir, the second choir proceeded in the opposite direction. I followed them on top of the wall, together with half of the people, past the tower of the ovens, to the broad wall. 
over the gate of Ephraim. The Jeshana gate, the fish gate, the tower of Hananel, and the tower of the hundred, as far as the sheep gate. And at the gate of the guna, of the guard, they stopped. And the two choirs that gave thanks then took their places in the house of God, as did I, together with half of the officials, as well as the priests, Eliakim, Mansiah, Minayim, Micaiah, Elionai, Zechariah, and Hananiah with their trumpets, and also Marsai, Shemaiah, Eliezer, Uzai, Jehohanan, Malkijah, Elam, and Ezer. The choirs sang under the direction of Jezrahiah, and on that day they offered great sacrifices rejoicing because God had given them great joy. The women and the children also rejoiced, and the sound of rejoicing in Jerusalem could be heard far away. And at that time, men were appointed to be in charge of the storerooms for the contributions, the first fruits and the tithes, And from the fields around the towns, they were to bring into the storerooms the portions required by the law for the priests and the Levites. And they performed the services of their God and the service of purification, as did also the singers and the gatekeepers, according to the commands of David and his son, Solomon. For long ago... In the days of David and Asaph, there had been directors for the singers and for the songs of praise and thanksgiving to God. So, in the days of Zerubbabel and of Nehemiah, all Israel contributed to the daily portions for the singers and the gatekeepers. And they also set aside the portion for the other Levites And the Levites set aside the portion for the descendants of Aaron. Aren't you glad I got through that? Actually, Robert, you've given the wrong reading. It it was the parable of the prodigal son this morning. No, only joking. Actually, the reading is no relevance this morning to what I'm preaching about. I just like seeing people suffer. (laughs) Do you know, I sometimes wonder if I need my head testing, because why wouldn't you choose the parable of the prodigal son or the feeding of the 5,000 rather than come as a guest to a service and preach on that stuff? I mean, it's... It's going to be um, a taxing time. But together, we're going to do it, aren't we? We're going to unpick it and get some relevance and some meaning for us this morning. 
I do bring greetings from Zion Baptist Church. And um, one or two folks thought I was Claire Nichols from Christ Church in Ramsbottom. Well, I have to say, Claire hasn't got a beard. So I'm not Claire Nichols. Uh, Claire is at Zion this morning, so they're being treated to the lovely Claire. Richard, your minister, is over at Christ Church, Ramsbottom. And they put all these straws in, in a container and Lum Baptist pulled out the shortest straw and got me. I was once asked to preach um, at a church in, Dar- um, in um, what's, the, what's the road leading down from Holland's Pies? Baxenden, Baxenden. And uh, this, this guy phoned me up on a Saturday night and he said, Mr. Haywood, we wonder if you could help us out tomorrow morning. And we realise it's short notice, but it's our anniversary. And the speaker has, has become poorly and can't do it. And he said, we've tried everywhere, and as a last resort, we thought we'd try you. <laughs> I feel special. Now... I will just say that I'm not used to a fixed microphone. So if I grab hold of the lectern and wander around with it, um, the the radio mic this morning has has got some crackling on it and that would be a bigger distraction than me speaking. So I decided we wouldn't use that. But I do do feel a little bit kind of um, cramped in my style because I love to wander around, but I'll do my best. Right. Let's let's start at the very beginning. God chose a people for himself. And he called them my people. The people of Israel. And God wanted to shape and to fashion those people for himself. And he gave them lots of helpful commandments and laws and rules and regulations to shape and to form these people to be God's own people. And eventually the people decided, you know, we are God's people. And God loves us so much that he wants us to enjoy ourselves. And eventually God's people became a little bit separated from the God who called them to be his people and began to do their own thing. Can you see anything similar today in the world? Anyway, God's people eventually were told by God, if you don't come back to me, if you don't ask for forgiveness and repent and turn to me, you will be taken into captivity. And the people went around and said, well, we're God's people. Nobody will touch us because we're special, because God made us his own people. And eventually, the Babylonians came over and brought the city, God's holy city, to the ground. The walls of the city were brought to the floor. 
Many people were killed. The city was devastated. And even worse, God's own people were taken into captivity into Babylon. What a disaster. You see, the people said, well, God said, first of all, if you do that, you'll end up with a big mess. And the people said, because it's getting towards December now, isn't it? The people said, oh, no, you won't. And God said, oh, yes, I will. And the people said, oh, no, you won't. And God said, watch this. And there they were in Babylon. And the people were in Babylon for some considerable time and in a great degree of misery and unhappiness. But God is a merciful God who loves his people, who isn't willing that any should perish. And so through various kings and various prophets, the people began to go back into Jerusalem to rebuild the walls and to rebuild God's holy city. Now, even if I didn't go any further, and I will because there's quite a lot of deep stuff in this, I believe there's a little parable, a little picture there this morning that God calls us to build his kingdom. He calls us together to, to work with Jesus, the king of the kingdom, and to come together and to build his kingdom. And because he's such a merciful God, even if we find ourselves in the pit of despondency and despair, he wants to tenderly lift us up and bring us together to build his kingdom. And he's done it before as an example to us. He did it in Jerusalem in the time of Nehemiah. But what I wanted to draw out this morning was actually something about worship. Because you might have gathered with all the trumpets and with all the choirs and with all the people shouting and singing that this morning is about worship. The shorter Westminster Catechism says, what is the chief end of man? And the answer from the catechumenate is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Why does it look like somebody's taken a million pound off us when we're worshipping God? To worship God and to enjoy him forever. To enjoy God. I wonder if that concept has ever come into your mind. You're here to enjoy God do you think those Hillsong children that Ben showed us were enjoying God? It makes, it makes the X factor look nothing, doesn't it? Brilliant. Worship is more than singing and words as, Ro- as Ben, Robert Ben, as Ben told us. What is it? Well, let's see if this one works. It's a total submission of all that we have and all that we are to everything we know of God. Worship, and that's a quotation, it's a total submission of all that we have and are to everything we know of God. And although Christians recognize the priority of worship, 
They don't always agree on how it should be done, do they? We all have different understandings. I mean, for example, there's participatory worship, which includes lots of different people. We have charismatic worship. Sounds like a chest infection, doesn't it? But worship where there's active use of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We have ecumenical worship where people from different Christian traditions can be involved. We have contemporary worship. I once had the Manchester Sacred Dance and Drama Group um, do a harvest at St. Paul's Constable Lee where I was vicar. It didn't go down too well because quite a lot of people walked out because it wasn't their concept of worship. And then there's balanced worship. That must be Baptist worship, mustn't it? Balanced worship. I I, um, lived for a time in Littleborough, and the vicar of Littleborough at the time, you could always see him. He sold ballpoint pens on on Halifax Road in a little shed type of thing in aid of the church. You could buy a ballpoint pen with the name of the church on. And uh, I've never, ever been wound up by a vicar as much as that vicar wound me up one Sunday morning. In the Church of England, you know they have prayer books, big, thick prayer books. And he was stood at the front, and he preached in his sermon. First of all, he didn't preach from the Bible. He preached from the 39 articles of the Church of England, which is in the prayer book. It's not scripture, but it's based on scripture. And he said... The Methodists have got it all wrong. They elevate the word of God. And the pulpit is central. The Roman Catholics have got it all wrong. Because they're all sacrament and no word. And they make the altar and the communion service the central point. And then the last bit, which wound me up, he said... But the Church of England is right down the middle and has got it so right. And at that point, I was picking up a prayer book to throw at this guy. I tell not a lie, honestly. Balanced worship, is that what it is? Our personal preferences need put into one side and we need to see what Scripture says, don't we? Nehemiah 12 can give us several aspects of worship. Firstly, the purpose of worship, verse 27 in that passage. At the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, the Levites were sought out from where they lived and were brought to Jerusalem to celebrate joyfully the dedication with songs of thanksgiving and with the music of cymbals, harps, and lyres. So firstly, grateful celebration. Celebrating who God is. They celebrated joyfully. There are psalms, aren't there, that say, make a joyful Oh, it's been really hard worshipping this morning. I feel so down about it all. Or, secondly, thanksgiving. Giving thanks to God for who he is. Not just, not just like a shopping list. Thank you for, thank you God for Auntie Nelly, the cat in the budgie, and all those other things. But Lord, thank you for who you are. 
You are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you that God so loved the world that even though Peter Hayward failed him and fails him today, that he picks me up when I come to him in repentance and faith and he says, I love you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you that you raise me up like that beautiful song. He lifts us up. And thirdly, dedication. Dedicating ourselves to him. So firstly, the Israelites magnify God's name in celebration, which is the primary aspect of worship. It begins with who God is and what God has said and done. Who is God and what he's said and done. When we worship, we marvel and we uplift God for all he has done and said and is to his people. Secondly, the people acknowledge God's gifts, all his goodness to them in thanksgiving. They marveled at God's undeserved generosity to them. In adoring wonder, they give public expression to to their immense gratitude to God. The fellowship's thanksgiving is repeated throughout this passage. In verse 31, two choirs were appointed to give thanks. It says, I also assigned two large choirs to give thanks. They were so wanting to give thanks to God that they brought these huge joint choirs together just to be thankful to God. And after processing around the newly built walls, both choirs that gave thanks entered the temple. Verse 40, the two choirs that gave thanks then took their places in the house of God. The people didn't just give thanks in random phrases, they were very specific. In chapter 1, which we won't read, but which you could read when you get home, Hananiah, Nehemiah's brother, had met his brother in the citadel of Susa and shared his people's need. Hananiah, Nehemiah's brother, had said, Look, Nehemiah, we're struggling with building the walls of Jerusalem. We're struggling to get them built up. We're struggling to get the holy city of God made back to its original form before the Babylonians brought it to the ground. We're struggling here. Can you help? And Nehemiah was a man of some authority. It says that he was cupbearer to the king. The king was Artaxerxes. And he was the guy, Nehemiah, who tested the wine that he was giving to the king. Um, and, and so they'd pour a, a glass of uh, Chablis, and Nehemiah would sip it, and if he dropped dead, it was not good wine. It's quite a responsibility, isn't it? But they didn't last very long, cupbearers, because everybody wanted to poison the king. But they were grateful that Nehemiah had responded quickly. They were grateful that Persia's king had allowed his cupbearer, Artaxerxes, the king, had allowed Nehemiah, his cupbearer, to go to Judah. They were thrilled at material resources that had been given for safe travel across dangerous deserts. It was very specific thanksgiving. Nehemiah thanked God 
for willing colleagues who shared his burden for the city and gave sacrificially. And they thanked God for protection from their enemies. And most of all, the people thanked God for the completion of rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem, which they now wish to dedicate to God's glory. The impossible had taken place. God's holy city had been rebuilt and they were absolutely chuffed to bits and wanted to thank God. And verses 45 and 46 make it clear that the songs of praise and thanksgiving to God were offered not only on that day, but on future occasions as well. So thanksgiving can be specific, and it can be something that goes on into the future. And thirdly, dedication. The the Israelites offer themselves in dedication. To dedicate means to put over the work of human hands into God's ownership. If we dedicate something, if we dedicate a building, we're putting that building from the work of man into the work of God. It's called dedication. Worship involves a surrendering of ourselves to God and all that he has given us. It involves a dedication of handing over that that we've done and saying, Lord, this is yours. This is up to you. These three elements of celebration, thanksgiving, and dedication are expressed by the whole of our being as we worship God. In celebration... We think what God has said and done. Ponder for a minute. What has God said and done to you as an individual? What has God said and done to you as a fellowship here at Lum? And in your worship, are you ready to go for it? Are you ready to come like those Israelites did in rebuilding those walls and that city? Come. Celebrate God's greatness and his power and his majesty. And then secondly, in thanksgiving, our hearts are moved with gratitude. I am moved with the, with the, with the, the love of Jesus. Does the, does the love of Jesus break through into your heart? Or is your heart like, like a little city wall where the walls are built up in solid stone? And God is saying, I want you to love me. I want you to love me. And we have this fortress, this impenetrable fortress built inside of our hearts. Coming in thanksgiving, our hearts moved with gratitude. And last but not least, in dedication, the will is surrendered to God. Take my heart and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. Take my moments and my days and let them flow in ceaseless praise. Provided that you don't call me to love you on a Monday night because I go out on Monday nights. 
And provided that it's not Tuesday because there's a really good program on the telly. And provided that Wednesday is accepted because I have a family time then. And Thursday is, and Friday and, and then it's gone, isn't it? And it isn't just days and nights that God wants us. He wants the whole of our being to respond to him, to know him, to love him, to trust him, to follow him, to truly be his people. Let's pray.